This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. It is Snark Monkey number 14. Happy New Year, by the way. Welcome to 2015. It's a brand new year. It's a brand new week. It's a brand new Snark Monkey. That's that's some exciting stuff. Boy, how are your holidays? I, uh, I'm still in holiday mode. I'm still having trouble getting back into the normal kind of feel of stuff. In fact, I'm such in a holiday lazy mode right now that I'm even doing this intro and the TV's on in the background and I just left the volume up. I don't care. Just there's noise in the background. Agent Carter, the new show on ABC for Marvel. I am, uh, I guess you would say I was watching, but not really. I'm not paying attention. I kind of want to watch it because I know that a previous Snark Monkey guest, Ralph Garman, has uh, a part in it, I think in the second hour, and I'm not there yet. And also because they're going to show the Ant-Man teaser trailer thingy, and I kind of want to see that. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Bob Cushell. Oh, this, my friends, is some wild Wacky stuff. Bob Cushell has been a writer producer in television for many a year now. <laughs> yeah, he's ninety years old. No, um, he lived here and grew up here in Southern California. Became a part of a sketch troupe. Uh, started a sketch troupe basically to kind of go up against the groundlings, but based in the San Fernando Valley. And managed to turn that into a writing and then producing career that has spanned shows like, well, he's been part of The Simpsons. He was on Dream On on HBO, if you remember that one. Uh, Perhaps most famously, Third Rock from the Sun, which lasted for several years, the John Lithgow show. And he was a showrunner on that. Most recently, he has been running the Charlie Sheen Anger Management Series and just cranked out... 100 episodes of television in record time. We address that here, but also hear about yet another story of someone who started out with the idea of what he wanted to do creatively and how that took twists and turns, and he rolled with it, and he stayed with it, and uh, managed to carve out a very successful career, despite the fact that he's pretty effed up. Bob Bob is not... A happy person. No, we have a lot of fun. I like Bob a lot. I love this episode. I think you'll find some really, not only inspiring stuff, but also you learn a lot about actor Jeffrey Tambor that I know you've never heard before. Trust me on this. Let's do it. It's Bob Cushell, Snark Monkey number 14. Enjoy. Do 
I have, a, I, have a, I have a... You have a great radio voice, but... You have a nice voice. I think I... Oh, listen to that. Yeah, let, let me... Let's. You got some resonance going oh, yeah. on. yeah. Did you just wake up? No. Did you just roll out of bed? No. Because this is what I... That's what I sound like when I get Do up. Do you really? Yeah. Listen to that. Have you ever thought about... Oh, all the time. <laughs> What was the rest of that that question I was going to ask you? Because I'm not sure what you're thinking I was going to say. Masturbating under the table. No, nope, that's not that's Then not I don't it. know what it was. Wasn't it with you and Finkel, you, uh, you showrunner types that uh, apparently are not getting any? Um, um, or maybe just masturbation is... Who says I'm not getting any? I, I, I never said I wasn't getting it. Just not for my wife. <laughs> All right, you're not going to want me to put that out there. Too. You can, we can. I will be very, very articulate in my grossness. We're, let's say we're starting right now, okay. and that from this point on, you can't ask me to edit anything out. That's great. So here anything you say from here on, here we is go. Fair game. Let's go. How you doing, Bob? I'm good, Larry. <laughs> How are you? I, I, I just I can't. I, I'm going to make you take the headphones off if you're going to talk like a like a jazz FM DJ. But I'm trying to figure out: am I hearing myself as I'm talking, or a second later? No, there's no delay. There's no delay. The the thing is, most people. I mean, this happens a lot with with trained actors who are right. used to being on camera, right. who, who've been acting for for decades, but they get in a booth and they. Freak out! Why is that? I've had uh, somebody. I mean, as wonderful as Jeffrey Tambor is, oh, you know, sure. who I love, and but he came in and it just it it just it took him forever to get comfortable in a booth because none of us are really used to hearing ourselves unless no. you've been a disc jockey for like your entire life, like I have. Yeah. Do you know Jeffrey Tambor? Very few people know this. I I uh, I, I, I don't know why I know this, but his family created the tambourine. No. Yep. No, yep, that's, that's a true. Story. You're completely making that nope, up. That's just to be story. irreverent and adorable. Oh yeah, that's irreverent. Now, I'm going to look that up. In fact, I'm going to. No, s- you're not. There's I'm, no reason to. No, I'm it's gonna... absolutely <laughs> fake. Here's the problem. Now, see, why are you going to do that to me Here's right the off problem, the bat? That people, you're, it's going to be listed, I think, probably, that I'm some type of a comedy writer, I guess. And writer, then producer. And then they're going to hear that and go, well, really? Really? I could do that. <laughs> and by the way, you can. You can. But that was you just riffing. I mean, that might be... Oh, yeah, be... that was me. You know what? That was me improvising. Yeah. I, yes. I, would, I don't I like wouldn't... to call it riffering because... Riffering. Riffering? I don't like riffering either. No, neither one. But the thing I do isn't jazz. It's well-trained <laughs> improvisation. So, but that joke wasn't writing. Uh, I was... did write that this morning. Oh, did you? Yeah, I wrote okay, that well, this that morning. well, that is disappointing. Though. I know. I was hoping... I said if he ever asks me about Jeffrey Tambor or mentions Jeffrey Tambor, I've got this in my back pocket. Wow. You, is there anybody else that I need to set you up with? Do we uh, need to do a pre-interview to make sure to pitch you some softballs? I thought this was the pre-interview. No, no. This oh. is the one that's actually going out oh, to the boy. world. Oh, boy. That you and four other people will <laughs> listen to. I'm not going to listen to this. Uh, no, I... Your family, probably. Oh, nope, nope, your, no, 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 probably no. you and maybe three people from here at the office. I guess I will probably listen to it twice because I have to, so if that counts as two people. Why do you have to listen to it? Well, I listen back just to see how I promote it because gotcha. I almost immediately forget what we talked about as right. soon as it's done. Sure. Because it just it's not that important to have me. Have I made the tambourine joke yet? Uh, I can't remember. You can't say there I you go. Not now you, you really should listen to it back. So you're just coming Why off... Why are you holding your fingers on that? I'm adjusting levels. Oh, okay. And once we get kind of settled and then I Then we'll start. 
No, we've started. Oh, okay. Back to the stuff you said, okay. please don't put on the podcast. <laughs> oh, it's on the podcast. <gasps> no, it can't be. Okay. All right. You just came off a huge amount of work. I did. Uh, you look tired I'm and exhausted. haggard. I'm awful. And no, you, but you look good. Yeah. But yeah. you look beat up a little bit. I'm, be- I'm extraordinarily beat up. I just did 100 episodes in two years and... Let's say six or seven months of anger management. Story. Now that's got to be some sort of record. The record that I found out there is a record that we aired sixty-two consecutive episodes week to week without a break, uh, without a rerun. So which, that that is a record. Which for anger management, you mean? That's a rerun for television. That's a rerun for television. <laughs> Oh, my God. Are you all right? Can we start over? No. No. Nothing has been interesting. No, everything's been interesting. I made one tambourine joke. <laughs> oh I, still, I still have no idea what you're referencing. I don't I'm either. Sure. I forgot about it already. Now, now is this, is, was this part of that unprecedented Charlie Sheen, Charlie Sheen deal? deal. Okay, yeah. so post Two and a Half Men, the big hoopla, all, of, all that, and right. then he makes this deal with Fox, with FX, right? FX, FX and Lionsgate, and and it was. But a, it is because he was only available for a limited amount of time. No, 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 no. The, or is the, just his commitment? Or the deal was we could get into syndication in two in in less than three years. Oh. if we if we do it this way, it's this format called uh, the ten ninety. So it's done without a pilot. You you get picked up for uh, for ten episodes, and if that hits a certain ratings threshold, which we which we did, then we get picked up for an automatic ninety. Now, but still, that seems unprecedented. I don't. I can't think of any well, other show there, that's ever Tyler done that. Perry had some ten nineties that yeah. were why 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 are you looking? Ca- at me I don't like, count that. Why not? I don't count that. Why? Because they're black people. <laughs> Is that what a shame? What a racist! Have you been listening to the news lately? There's Ferguson and you know other people. I will not engage in this. Okay, this I is the part either. I will cut out. But this is the writers' room part. This is the part where we can talk like, uh, you know, uncensored, unburgitated. <laughs> Apparently, without coherency or is that a word what's the word i'm thinking is this a writer's room from the standpoint that i can pitch you this great tambourine joke that i've got oh my god i'd love to hear one all right you know jeffrey tambor yeah i forget it already yeah i don't know i don't know what you could do with that so i want to get to i want to get to charlie and anger management after we kind of go over everything you've done up to that point but i am fascinated with the fact that you have done that much work in that short amount of time yeah that was crazy and are you now officially making that sweet syndication money are you like rich beyond your wildest dreams i just bought this building that's why I'm doing this show. Oh. Yeah. Am I fired? Uh, is this a weird way of coming around to saying I, I don't work here anymore? It depends. I'm going to be interviewing you now. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is a, this has really become a job interview. This is the, or an exit interview. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. All right. But wait till you hear my tambourine joke. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Are we going to make 50 more jokes about that one joke? No, that's the last callback. All Until right, the good. very end, and we'll close it with a bang. Thank God. I uh, know. But nobody um, will make it that far. No, no, no. Whoa. So you grew up here, right? I grew up here. You're and by the way, syndication money, I, there's nothing yet. Nothing. I mean, we're, we are in syndication, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? Well, was, the checks will just, I mean, they'll ba- be backing up trucks, yeah, right? sure they will. Right. Is, can you still make money being a, a, a TV writer? Yeah, and, yeah you can make things? a certain amount of money. Because it's changed so much. It since has changed so when much. When you were doing Third Rock from the Sun, which is probably the longest stretch you've had on any show, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that show lasted how many seasons? That show lasted six seasons, but I left after five. Okay, but you were there from day one. Day one. All right. So that 
is even that long ago, which wasn't that long ago. No, it was 90, have, 96 through 2000. Yeah. Things have changed drastically in TV. Everything would you say? changed completely. Yeah. But because it's the internet and the, you know, you know, the Netflixes and the Amazons. Yeah. So many outlets. It's tons of outlets. But is that a good thing? Um... Yeah, it's, I think it's a great thing because there's so much more ability to do things that are unique and different and not get paid for them. That's <laughs> I think that's really – Well, that's really it. That's um, exciting to be able to, to work without getting paid as opposed to the old days where you worked and got paid. Yeah. You know, now you can really do a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of things that normally wouldn't be on – on any television. Well, I would like to think, because back there, certainly there was a time you could do a lot of work and you get paid even if you were bad. Right. Um, it well, seems, I, as is evidenced by the person st- sitting across from you. I wasn't going to say that. Thanks. But I was implying that. I know. No, no, no. Uh, but now you really have to be, I mean, the cream does have to rise to the top, and, and that basically is the audience will tell you right away. I you have this so. measurable way, at least from... You know, the Internet standpoint, the Netflix subscriptions, that sort of thing, you have this measurable way that's maybe a little more reliable than Nielsen boxes and people meters. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I I was just talking about this the other day. I took a statistics class when I was in college, and they explained to us how the Nielsen system worked. And I have no recollection of how it worked, but they proved to us that it does work. And I, I think that it probably works. Think so? Yeah. I think it works. Because it seems like, and I've gone through this in radio, and it's especially tough in radio because you know that the sampling size of people who are tuning in is such a fraction of what the actual audience I know, should but be. people watched Seinfeld, and it was reflected in the ratings. Yeah. And people didn't watch uh, yeah. the sixth season of Third Rock, and it was reflected <laughs> in the ratings. I mean, it was just that. It's pretty obvious when you, when you talk to people, what people are watching, and it it seems like it is reflected in the rings. What's challenging now is all the uh, the DVR plus three, the DVR plus seven, the C3s, oh, all that stuff. And what, trying to kind of consolidate all that information. And consolidating all that, that information sense. is amazing. You know, they had this C3 thing, which is now they, they know who is not watching or who is watching the commercials after recording it through Devo. <laughs> or Devo. Devo. I, let, me, let me tell you something about this. I have. Are we not men? Mark Mothersbaugh, the entire group, they are all at my house and they record the programs I tell them to record. Now, see, they were way more prescient and, uh, you know, they predicted so much of the future more than we realized. Absolutely. They weren't just playing wacky new wave songs. No, those hats they wore. They were transmitters, transmitters for television stations. Yeah, they were so ahead of their time. But anyway, they're all at my house right now, and I think they're recording a sporting event and on Fox 2, and I, I think The View, a repeat of The View. What are you talking about? I'm talking about that I have Devo at home. All right. Well, where'd you grow up? That's my second pun of the day. Uh, nope. Nope. I don't think we I grew up in that. the valley. San Fernando Valley, right down the street. I'm finding more and more people... Because the the rap on the city is that nobody's from here. Everybody's from but here. But almost everybody I've talked to on this podcast was born. <laughs> right. Ken Levine. Yeah. Uh, uh, yep. One of the great Absolutely. TV writers Absolutely. and also a, a, a true 
uh, raconteur in terms of being able to do everything. He has a book well. called I Grew Up at Topanga Plaza. And yeah. I grew up at Topanga Plaza. And he grew up at Topanga Plaza, I think, a few years before I did. Yeah. But out in Woodland yeah, Hills. Out in Woodland Hills. That's where I grew up. So what's what was life like growing up in L.A.? Did you have – I know your parents. I've met your parents and um, lovely people. Thank you. And uh, – uh, My dad is dead, though. Yes, he's passed on. So he's I, not as lovely as he used to be. <laughs> Well, he was lovely when I met him. Yeah, he was a good guy. Uh, what was what were they doing? My father was a uh, an advertising executive, and my mother was in commercial real estate. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So did the kind of advertising world hint at entertainment in no, any way? Not at all. Was this just you? It was just me, and I remember the day. I remember the day I was what in was second it? grade. And I saw Bugsy Malone, the Alan Parker movie. Oh, my God. Scott Baio. And this is the gangster film with nothing but children. That's exactly right. It is an odd little movie. It is, but it's, I think it's still brilliant. And, and um, I saw that, and I remember watching that with wide eyes. This is second grade, I guess. How old are you in the second grade? Eight or nine? You're like, something like yeah, seven or eight, yeah. actually. Yeah. And I... I Unless was, you get held back, which you probably did. For three years. Oh. Yeah. So right. maybe maybe I was 23, 24 <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so I, I, I watched the movie, and I was driving home, and I remember being in the backseat of my parents' car, sobbing, sobbing hysterically. I can visualize it as I'm, I, I know where I was. Isn't this funny? It's so weird. And I was sobbing, and they're like, what's the matter? And I said... Why didn't they ask me to be in that movie? Oh, wow. Why wasn't I in that movie? I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand why I wasn't asked. And the next day, I came to school and I said, I'm going to start writing the sequel to that movie. I didn't even know there was a sequel or a, an idea of a sequel, but it was going to be the next chapter of that movie. And I started writing it, but I didn't know I was writing. I knew I thought that was directing because I wanted to direct the sequel. So I started. You just wanted writing. to create this thing. I wanted to create you wanted this to, thing. You wanted to see how that story continued, but you needed to be involved That's in, exactly, in it. That's exactly right. And uh, that's amazing. Yeah. So I started writing it the next day. I, second grade. I'll, I remember it. And designing the poster for it, and trying to figure out how I was going to film it, and that eventually led to uh, writing other original movies. Like the Runaway Gang, I never finished it. I only wrote a couple scenes here and there, and then I got bored. And then I, I said, "Oh, I'm going to do this movie called The Runaway Gang about a bunch of kids who live in an orphanage and they run away and get married to each other." I don't know what why they had to get married. Uh, I think they should just have fun <laughs> <laughs> now. Looking back, but but uh, it's not too late to bring that back. Oh, The Runaway Gang. Uh, you hope talk about having something in your back pocket. Yeah, man. There's no. I keep pitching it. Nobody's no. buying. No, nobody's biting on it. But hopefully someday. But anyway, so I would. Would write this. I remember getting the kids together behind the school library at Calabash Street Elementary School, and they would act it out for me. My my, you know, my, the things that I wrote. But I thought I didn't know I was writing. I I literally thought I was just directing. And here was like a template yeah, for yeah. me on lined paper. You know. Now, were you around? Did you have a creative family? I mean, did, did my were, mother, yeah, my father was a painter and and uh, you know, wonderful at his advertising. And my mother sang, but there was not like. It wasn't like people were in the movie business or the right. television industry at all. But they were way. they were cool with this creative bent. So supportive. I mean, this is this is a this is a weird thing for a seventy year old to be doing. But they recognized it you as just me, you just said a seventy year old. Seven. <laughs> this is a weird. thing. It's weird for a seventy year old to see a movie with kids and go, God, I wish I was in that, and then go behind the school <laughs> and write things and have kids act in it. That would be that would really be really weird. weird. This is less weird, but yes, weird. <laughs> 
<laughs> but they were totally fine with that. They were not only fine with it. My sister Lisa, now Arch, Lisa, Arch, Lisa and I, th- my, our parents were so incredibly supportive of us to a fault. I, I looking back, look back, I don't understand why they were so supportive because we're, we're we were trying to. To be in this dumb industry that nobody makes it in, and, right. and and it's just like they were like, yeah, why aren't you, why why weren't you in Bugs and Malone? That's literally the attitude I got. But was there anything else that you developed an interest in, or was it from that moment on? No, that was it. Just it was about performing. Or it was about writing performing or, and writing and writing something. the things I was performing and going to direct movies and and. Were you a weird kid? Were you an outcast? Were you popular? Class clown, I, any a of class that? clown, but yeah. that, that's it. I wasn't, I wasn't particularly popular. But were or, you smarting off or getting yes, in trouble, or, I, or do, yes. were you the adorable guy? I was the kid. Looking back, I, I, I think I still am this. Like, um, I would be the kid to start problems in a room, but still be the teacher's pet. Yeah. So yeah. I was the guy always being thrown out all the, of the room, always, and yet my teachers loved me. So it's this weird di- – and I always got that. I yeah. always got that. So I I think I used that. I feel that way about you. Do you really? Yeah, I'd like you to leave right now, but you're go. you're just such a cutie. I, oh, should I not leave? Uh, well, you're on probation, All young right, man. All right, I figured I was. Okay. It's a timeout for it you, really Bobby. It really is. I remember a kid – I remember a, t- a teacher. We had a teacher at Montclair College Prep. You remember Montclair? Oh, yeah. Here? All right, so this was a terrible school for me. <laughs> and the teacher <laughs> – But why was it terrible? Because everybody was it like was, college Because it was discipline. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. I remember there was one day – and I was like – trying to be a disciplined kid and trying to be, you know, not the class clown. And then my brain shorted out. I remember the day here too. I like the my and I started doing the robot outside during during lunch and making all these noises and sounds like I had literally short circuited and I said I could never be here again. But the teacher, there was a teacher who was this big imposing um uh what was he? He was a, he was like a coach and he was also teaching math. And he said something like, you know, quit it, dude. And I said, what are you going to do to me, dudette? And then the, you know, the audience. I just said the audience. I, that's how I looked at the class. And then the audience said, ooh. ooh. And I was thrown out of the, uh, of the room. Wow. But that Look was, at you dealing with, you, like dealing with hecklers oh, early on. Absolutely. absolutely. But it sounds like you wanted to sabotage yourself in that situation. Uh, like, yeah. I yeah. don't belong here. In that situation, I wanted to sabotage myself. But uh, most often, I was, just, I was just the class clown. Yeah. I was voted class clown. In in you know El Camino Real High School, I petitioned uh, for <laughs> class clown. I wanted the ballot box? something. Yeah. I wanted to be something there. I w- always want to be something, and even if I have to ask for it, I'll I'll get it. I'm so sad. Get up on that microphone, Bob. All right, I'm losing baby. you a little bit. All right, here we go. Um, not that much. All right. So, Montclair, did you go on? Did you uh, go on to college at some point? I went out to college. I went to El Camino Real High School for th- uh, three years, and then I went to uh, UC Irvine. I was an ant eater, and I was a drama major there. <laughs> and all I did, they have a pretty good program at this point, right? They had a great program. Was, I, I think it, they still do. Yeah, have it's a very always good been drama program. It's always been kind of one of those. You know, secondary to, but yeah. it has a good reputation. Yeah, it's the Harvard of Irvine. That's what I call it. There the Harvard go. Drama School, <laughs> Yale Drama Academy of Irvine. But, you know, I, I, I really loved it there, but all I did while I was there was try to get out. All I did was write and write and write. This was that other thing that my parents, like, acted as if I could be successful at an early, early, early age. I wrote my first screenplay, my first full 120-page full 
I knew what I was kind of doing screenplay when I was in eighth grade, when I was 12. Wow. Um, now, when, after Bugsy Malone, what were the, who were the guys? Who were the – were you focused on film more than anything? I was focused on film, yes. I, yeah. didn't, I hadn't really – I knew what television was, but it was all movies, 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 yeah. movies. So who were – what were the films? What were the guys that uh, – after Bugsy? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a great question. I don't have any seminal movie – in my life until all that jazz uh-huh. when I that and I was 12 years old then yeah and all that jazz literally changed my life yeah I remember that one blowing me away yeah it was the I, first R-rated movie I ever saw yeah I think it was one of the first I ever saw too yeah. and it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around how w- w- there was so much going on and I knew I loved it yeah. and I just I had to go back and kind of pick it apart same yeah, thing absolutely it, it blew my mind I don't know that I, when I watch it today I I, I try and recreate that and right like, it's a, it feels a little dated or whatever yeah it does but, but it's but still pretty amazing it's still so cinematic and yeah. Bob Fosse is a big big idol of idol of mine he's like the I just love Bob Fosse and uh, it's because of that movie that movie literally I remember walking out of that movie my father took me to that movie I was 12 years old and uh, brought me in the car, and I said, Dan, that's what I want to do. That's, that's not a movie. That's film. That's what I said. It's like, where am I getting this from? Wow. That's not a movie. That's film. But that's, that was in my mind. As you can see, I've accomplished that writing situation comedies. <laughs> Well, but to see, this is this is so typical of so many of the people I've talked to because you did have this aspiration to do something that maybe went along the lines of dramatic. I think everybody, no matter how much you were the class clown or whatever, personally, you wanted your art to be a reflection of something maybe a little more substantial. You wanted to do something important. I think a lot of people yeah. start out feeling like I have to kind of change. That's that hubris of youth. I think. Yeah, is, uh, I think you're probably right. Let's hit on the. The really hard-hitting issues. What was I, your screenplay about? Well, my screenplay was Murder is Child's Play about a bunch of people who uh, – a bunch of kids who started a detective agency. It was always a bunch of kids running away from an orphanage, a bunch of kids <laughs> starting a detective agency. It really – it was very similar to all that jazz. It in, was – In what way? Well, there's a lot of ways. First of all, some was it great, a, was great there, dance numbers. Okay, great good. Great dance numbers. Good. And my character in the movie uh, has an open heart surgery during <laughs> during the third act. Wow, as a kid. Yeah, wow. yeah. That, right. I think that's why it hasn't gotten made yet. But hopefully someday that and the Runaway Gang will be on. Will lead to hackers hacking into Sony and saying, "If this is ever released, uh, we will we will blow up movie." Theaters. It's going to be like the modern version of Our Gang or Absolutely. something. Absolutely, except with but far worse. Yeah, exactly. Far worse. Way more and zero laughs. No laughs. No anything actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, no morals. No lessons. Just pure horrible comedy. <laughs> Interesting, Nothing. Interesting concept. Yeah, yeah, I see a lot of that now. So I don't know if you're really on. The, oh, I write the, for a lot of that. Oh, now. okay. Yeah, there absolutely. So, so anyway, so so it was it was so all that jazz and 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 in terms of the movies, and then when I started doing theater and I started doing sketch comedy, uh, that made me start seeing. Well, for some reason, that was a like a like a gateway drug to television. It was um, shorter periods of time I had to write comedy for and and uh it just something about it that that laughter that audience laughter that being around that 
was much more appealing to me than, than, than writing for film. Well, it was also a way, I think, of being able to have a finished product and then actually get it in front of people Absolutely. in a way that you could control. With immediacy, yeah. too. Uh, and now, what was the scene like in terms of sketch comedy? Because the Groundlings had already been around for a while. Right. I, I second, saw the... I know it was all town? the Groundlings. Yeah, it was all the was Groundlings. It. And I saw the Groundlings in 1984 at a birthday party uh, for a, uh, a brother, uh, a friend of mine's brother. And I left seeing uh, Upstage, that's the name of my comedy group, I'll I'll get to in a second, but I left uh, seeing The Groundlings with all the the greatest, Phil Hartman and John Lovitz and Pee Wee Herman, they were all in this one show. And I left and I said, well, we're going to start our own comedy group called Upstage Comedy. Me and my friends, Doug Liebline and Steve Epstein, in the car at that time. So you didn't see that as an entree. You said, we're going to start a we're rival. We're going to start our rival company to the wow. Groundlings. And two, that was, I think, in 10th grade. And then two years later... <laughs> Wait a minute. That was in high school you did this? Oh, yeah. That was in 10th grade. And then two years later, when I graduated high school, the day after I graduated high school... Uh, my friend Steve and I, who was in the car when we came up with this idea to do a rival groundlings called Upstage Comedy, um, we uh, we started immediately and we we rented a theater that summer and it was the youngest comedy group in town from 17 years old to, I guess, 16, 16, 17 year olds. And maybe an 18-year-old. This and is Let's Put on a Show stuff. It was Let's Put on this a Show. This is the gang starting the detective agency. It, is exa- it literally is, is that. There is such a theme already Isn't that weird? Here. I never even put those together. Absolutely. But that really, like being adults as children. Yeah. And we got very good reviews from... Where, from, were, you, where were you doing it? We were doing it at the White Fire Theater on, near Woodman and Ventura. Okay. And we did that for two summers in a row. Was it good? It was... For our age, I think it was pretty great. Yeah, I really do. I think it was. We had we had a two hour, two and a half hour comedy show, you know, and the the, the ratings were good. The, the reviews were good. Some as the the next year they were very good, and then we did it a third summer, and they were great. We got a rave from Dramalog, which was a magazine at the time for actors that I couldn't have paid my mother to write. Wow. It was so good, and I used that. Review highlight my name because I was the head writer and I started the company. I was one of the actors and I highlight my name over a lot of you know hundreds of flyers, uh, flyers whatever they were, and I <laughs> sent them out to agents with a letter that said I have a Wonder Year spec I'd love you to read, and I got eight responses back immediately that said we'd love to read it, and I sent my Wonder Years out to them and two people within a week said we'd like to represent you. Wow. And I was this 19. Sounds like a, this sounds like a story out of the 40s or something. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It will never happen Because it's not that world at all. No, anymore. no, no. You could not send unsolicited uh, uh, material to agents. So what year is this, That was 1988. All right. So is there any, anybody else in Upstage that, like a name we would, some names we would know? Um, that, well, my sister was in Upstage the, this, uh, the second year um, and the third year, and she was hysterical. And she was 14. <laughs> I, it was it was crazy, and she got as good of reviews as anybody. Yeah. She she's unbelievably talented actress and and sketch comedian and and a hostess on shows. She's just fantastic. Because there was that group that ended up doing Acme, which you I know, did that next. Yeah, you were part of that eventually. I did that next, yeah. and there was Ralph Garman there, and Dave Finkel was there, and Brett Barr, and, and Carolla went. Carolla was there before me yeah. and during me in the higher group. He yeah. was. What a talent he was! Yeah. Just we all, 
watched him and just said, "Oh boy, that's that's." Because a lot of people forget about that because there were uh, there were a lot of names that came out of that little group, and that because because that didn't have any longevity. I mean, Acme still exists, but it's this weird kind of just a yeah, theater basically is, that Yakov Smirnov. Oh, you know, is he does, here there? He, well, he did a residency there oh, for like great. months and months. That's really great. Like, what a country, huh? Yeah. Well, I heard he was acting blue now. This is an old joke I wrote uh, before I got here. He uh, he's he's in Vegas now. Uh, he's 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 got a really he's in hard times. He's oh, got a, really? Yeah, he's got a rough set. He's trying to. It's a blue set. It's a it's a blue dirty set. He's, really, America, what a cunt! Is that what he says? That's that's the I joke. Don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's the third or fourth pun of the day. Is that a pun? It's a shortening of a word. It's well, it's wordplay. I think is it's the word best play. we could say about it's it. It's wordplay and not good wordplay. No, no, it's not, not at all. No, not at all. No, but it's better wordplay than America. What a tree. That would be not as good. <laughs> this at least made sense. I get you're right. You I think know, the setup if you're going to compare long. it to a complete non sequitur that makes no sense, right? This makes sense. Yeah. America, what a cunt. No, you don't have to repeat it. Oh, I didn't? No. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. We all understood it. Are I you think. gonna bleep that? No. Oh. This wow. is not going out on broadcast. Oh, this isn't for ABC no, television? Just... <laughs> did, I thought this was the view. Did somebody t- Yes, that's right. All right. I am Joy Behar. <laughs> oh, she's long gone by now, isn't oh, she? Oh yeah, she passed away. I don't think you would have bought me as Whoopi Goldberg. No, I wouldn't have. Child. Um so <laughs> So back to act. Uh, so where are we? We're uh, upstage. We're upstage. Then but, we... but the Wonder Years thing. Uh, yeah. You wrote a Wonder Years spec, and did you get besides getting a response and sending it to people? Did that actually turn into work? No, no. no. That well, that turned actually. But meetings. I, at it least, turned or? into meetings, and it turned. No, it actually. I guess it did turn into work. Representation. It, it returned into representation. Yeah, I was with a very uh, a small agency in Los Angeles that. Uh, there's not agencies of this size anymore. You know, they'd have A agencies like like William Morris and ICM, and they had you know B agencies. Now it's you're either huge or you're tiny. There's nothing right, exactly. And this was a very small agency called the Montero Rose Agency. I don't even know if they exist anymore, but I I don't think they do. But um, so they, I remember I was 19 years old. I was in college. I was a junior in college, and they said, "Look, we love your material." But you're 19 years old. You should finish college. And when you finish college, we'll work on a career. Within six months, I was working at Fox, which was crazy. I was working for Joe Devola. I don't know if you remember the name. Crazy, crazy Joe Devola. Crazy Joe Devola. Joe Devola hired me at Fox the minute he met me, which was it was a crazy it was a crazy day. He hired me sort of to be under contract uh, on these non-guild shows because I wasn't in the Writers Guild. Wow. And so I was on these non-guild shows at like the what? time. One was called uh, Malibu Beach Party, which was kind of a dance party on the beach. <laughs> and before, now what did you do on Malibu Beach Party? I wrote like they. I had to come up with games that they could play on the beach. Like you ran holding watermelons, and you know had to run across the beach and like squeeze somebody's boob while blindfolded. <laughs> I don't know what they were, but I do know that I was a part of that show. I became a part of that show and was on air. I was the nerdy guy who ended up uh, showing the handsome people on the beach and the gorgeous women on the beach beach how to, <laughs> you just how to do the to, games. To I become nerdy. The, the fucking nerdy <laughs> guy. It was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. You want to hear a story about does it? Does this exist anywhere? No. Uh, no. Well, oh. I don't know if it does. It aired four, it aired four days in a row. Alan Hunter, who, who runs, oh. who, uh, who's one of the guys, MTV? the original MTV VJs yeah. was the host. 
Um, there was going to be a guest star every week. Uh, the first week was Aly- Alyssa Milano. And in showing her how to play the game, do you want to hear this? I do. In showing her how to play the game with the watermelon, I ended up lifting the water. Remember, there's literally 200 gorgeous girls and guys on the beach looking at me, showing Alyssa Milano how to do this game. As the nerdy character. As the nerdy with the, with the zinc oxide on the nose yeah. and the big glasses oh. and the, the nerdy guy on the beach, right? So I picked, did. You have a name? Uh, what was it? I'm sure it was. Uh, I'm sure it was Bob. I'm sure it was okay. Bob, the, the 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 beach guy, All whatever, right. like something like that. It All was right. not clever. I'll tell you that much <laughs> because I wrote it. And so they. So I pick up this watermelon. God, I'll never forget. It. Pick up this watermelon. As I pick it up, sand flies into my eyes. Okay, tons of sand in my eyes. This is the very first thing I've ever done on camera. It's on the beach. Gorgeous people. Alyssa Milano is standing right there. Sand goes into my eyes. I know I've got to keep going. Okay? The show must go on. Oh, absolutely. But I can't see a fucking thing. <laughs> I fall, trip, all over the watermelon. The, the, I'm struggling to get to the thing. Soap gets in my face. I've got soap in my eyes. I'm falling all over the place. I can't do anything. They yell, Cut. They yell cut, and everybody is just staring at this tall, gross Jew covered in sand, and they're just looking at each other, and I know the girls were going, I would never sleep with him. That's all anybody, even the guys, everybody was thinking, yeah. I, I would never sleep even with him. Even if there was a brief moment of, oh, he's cute he's or funny. Cute. He's that he's funny guy. He's a character. Right, he's the librarian who lets his hair down yeah. and turns into the I hot. I took those glasses off. Nothing. No, now it's just no. if I took those glasses off, I'd see glass in his eyes. <laughs> and that's how I felt. And it was just it, they had to shut down production for two hours. We didn't make the day because of it. We only did four shows instead of five. It was the worst. It was the worst to this day moment of my life. But here's the happy story. I slept with 40 girls that day. Wow. Yeah, 40 girls. Okay, so it did... did it ended up everything worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So, 40, I mean, 40 uh, pity sex 40 sessions. 40 pity sex sessions. I mean, look, you got to take what you can get. No, but I was hoping I was hoping for 60. Oh, see. So it really, really was, was see, a See, you've always been ambitious no matter what the situation. I've always... <laughs> you always are reaching for the next Always wrong. reaching for the stars. So what would you consider to be the, the break then? What was the thing that got you to a level? Well, I... I was I I I can you hear that? Yeah. What? Why can that's, I hear stuff? That's just loud people out in the hallway. Uh, is that? So See, this isn't professional. Oh no. <laughs> okay. I mean, it looks like it, it does. If people were to look at us, they would think, "Oh wow, look at that—a studio and everything." But no. But no, it's not soundproofed, and a lot of people are going to the Christmas party. And there's a Christmas party the, right uh, now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, you're, and you're doing this. Uh, I'm going to get there eventually. So will I. You want to come? Sure. Oh, love a blast. What started the whole thing? I I um, I was writing for Nickelodeon at that time too, and I was also writing for uh, Hanna Barbera and did Disney Disney animation, and then it all dried up. I went back to college, I got my degree, and then I wrote, where'd you go to college? Oh, I, UC Irvine. UC still. Irvine. You finished up. You really do forget things. No, I I, just, I remember that you forget things. You, you forget. I'm coming off a, a Finkel interview where he went to like nine colleges. I know. No, so, nothing like that. No, you actually finished what you started. I actually, well, yes, I actually went back and finished what I started because I know you're highly competitive with him. Oh, it's all and we you, do is 
just call each other and say, see what I did yeah, and see yeah. what I did? And you want to win. I want to win. Yeah. I want to win. Okay. Um, no, Dave, actually, Dave was our lighting uh, guy for, uh, for, uh, for Upstage Comedy. Dave became so successful. He's, he was interesting. Our, he didn't mention that in his, I, which shocks me because that led to everything for him. Really, everything. See, he no, doesn't so give you Dave, any credit. Nothing at all. No. So Dave did that. Also, who did our lighting was a guy named Rollin Jones, who who went on to become this incredible playwright who was uh, up for a Pulitzer. In uh, it's unbelievable the people our lighting uh, booth spawned. <laughs> it's really great. Well, what's really fun to see is the little pockets because I see my my kid doing this. You know, he comes out of BU and he's in New York and he's and he's trying to kind of make a life as an actor and sure. a musician and stuff. And um, you know, he comes out with this group of people from BU, and they're of like mind, and they know each other, and they do this this sketch show that they put up at the Cherry Lane Theater, this great venue. Oh, and I go in thinking, oh, how cute. It's going to be these college kids who kind of, you know, get back together again and do their stuff. And it's kind of brilliant. I mean, yeah. it was really amazing. That's great. And, and it's, you know, so you, people just kind of, they find each other, and they form a bond, and then you just kind of see where that takes yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. And when, you, and when you find a group that really works together... It's terrific. You usually see them all kind of do their thing. They yeah. have that. They have that framework to start with. That Absolutely. blueprint that they, they want to try and relive. And I mean, uh, I know that Dave talked about our school. We both went to school together, and we had a wonderful experience in high school. And and it continued on, you know, through our life. His yeah. life was far more jagged and 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 whacked out than mine was. I always, you know, he knew what he wanted not to do, and I always knew what I wanted to do. We ended up doing the same thing, but it's yeah. just great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I wrote a I uh, I wrote a Larry Sanders spec. Um, it was it was without question the first Larry Sanders spec in town, and I'll tell you how I know this. I was working. My wife was uh, Steven Spielberg's assistant, and I was working at Amblin as a uh, as a reader. I would read screenplays oh, yeah. and I would watch directors' reels. The the first two Larry Sanders episodes aired. And it was such a smash. And I got these two um, more, they, they were two uh, videotapes of Todd Holland's um, episodes that had not aired yet. Oh. So only two episodes aired yet. I aired, I had two others. And I watched all four in one day. And I wrote an episode that night. It was like God, if there is a God, had touched me. And I wrote an episode of Larry Sanders' show in six hours. I've never been able to do anything like that before or since. Yeah. And it was like a fully formed idea. I was a complete Johnny Carson junkie. And I had read everything and knew everything about Carson. And I just based, I based it on, 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 on an episode of his life. And... Uh, it was to this day one. I think one of the best things I've ever written. Wow! And uh, you know, it's because Finkel mentions Larry Sanders yeah. too, and I, I feel like that show doesn't get the kind of attention or credit that maybe it deserves. Because Absolutely. here's you and he, and I think about it too. I mean, I would watch that show and I'd be, be thrilled when it was over. Like I had just witnessed something amazing. Oh, I thought time. because you hated it. it no. Was like, oh, I'm thrilled this is over. No, no, no. I would just, I would be so exuberant. Yeah. I mean, the, the the episode where he stands up to the network where he, you know, where Larry walks from his office yeah. with that, I mean, that's, that's like one of the most seminal moments in television. I, I remember just being, you know, and that's a half hour freaking comedy. Absolutely. It you was, know who else was great in that? Who? Jeffrey Jeffrey Tambor. Tambor. <laughs> I got to tell you a little fact about Jeffrey Tambor. His family, what? this is true. What? This is actually true. His family invented the Tam. You know that hat? 
And they were named somehow after that? Because, no, no, oh, no, no. They, they invented the it. And they said, we can't themselves. name it a tambour. It's called a tambour, huh? but it's they just shortened it to a tambour. I've tam. never heard that Absolutely. Before. Interesting. Yep. There's a lot we learn. Um, so, so you write the sample. Wrote the sample. Yeah. Um, had been writing uh, other things while I was went back to college. I wrote a Seinfeld spec. And those two things got me uh, my first, what I call my first, like, real agent from a real agency. And it was Chris Silverman, who is now the head of ICM. I was his first client. He was my first major agent. Oh, man. We were both 23 years old. Uh, I was at, I, it was at Broder, Curl, and Webb Offner, BKWU, which has now been bought by ICM. And um, within, I think it was three months, I got offers from that script and from meetings to be on Larry Sanders show and uh and dream on and I took dream on you now you would think I would have taken Larry Sanders I, show, I was right? gonna say because I, mean, I love the show so much and, it was such a smash yes and dream on was in its fourth year and ah, so what was the call the call was this the Larry Sanders show meeting with Gary Shandling and a couple other people was the strangest, weirdest, kind of uh, most horrific meetings I'd ever been really? to. Really? Yeah. From, well, try, describe. I was pitching ideas because I thought I had to come in with new ideas yeah. for episodes. And I came in, well, first of all, Gary Shanley looks at me. He comes out to get me from the lobby and he goes, you look like, uh, you look like uh, Jerry Seinfeld. I can't work with you. I can't work with you. I can't work with you. <laughs> oh, great. And for some reason I went, uh, Frankenberry's Frankenstein. I started doing like a bad uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Frankenberry's Frankenstein. Count Dracula's Dracula. Who's Boomberry? He's a ghost. He's a blue ghost. I don't know what that means, but he <laughs> loved it, and he started taking me around to office, to office, to office. Making you do that? Making me do it, which oh. is just such a great thing to, to do. Then he brought me into that office, the Bean office, and I met with the, you know him and, and a couple other people who will go unnamed. <laughs> I don't know why I can name Gary Shanling, but uh, whatever. What's he going to do to me? And uh, what the other people are going to do to me? Anyway, it's a very strange meeting. I'm pitching ideas. They're, they're, they're backs are to me. Gary's looking at the wall. One of the guys is, his back is li- looking at the window. One of the guys has literally got his back to me, pit, hitting golf balls against the wall. It was so rude and obnoxious and just awful in every way. Yeah. And I, I remember I pitched one idea, and they started talking about it. The, 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 the people in the room, they started talking about it, and they got stuck. And I said, well, you know, I, I have an idea f- for that. And Gary turns to me and goes, shut up. We like the idea. Let us go with it. Oh. And they kept going. Ooh. And I thought, oh, my God, this is what the, the television is. Did they use is. that idea? I don't know. Uh, no, I don't no. think they did use that idea. But, but I remember I, 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 I left the meeting. And I, I got in my car. And I started crying because I thought to myself, I've been wanting to be in this business my whole life, and these are the people in the business. Right. And this is what I'm going to have to deal with. You thought this was a template it, for what all – There was no question. Yeah. It had to be. It, this well, was it. And it's also kind of a you never know, want to meet your heroes kind of thing, too. Absolutely. Because, you know, look, Shanling was amazing. and, Ab- and Brilliant. Beyond brilliant. Those guys did an, an incredible job, but that may not be with you, when you elevate it to that level and then you have to be in it, you may not want to be right. part of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. By know, the way, people, know how the, the people in that room were not like Judd Apatow or Peter Tolan. They were yeah. other they were other people, yeah. but it was it was a very obnoxious, rude place. And I broke down crying and I got home and I was living with my my girlfriend, who was now my wife, and I I, I, I got a call immediately. And they said 
they want you to be on staff. And that should have been that should have been it. Larry Sanders. Larry Sanders. And that should have been it. And uh, I said, well, I've got this meeting in Dream On next week. I'd like to meet with them before I make a decision. And they were like, what? And I said, I just, that room was so terrible. Yeah. It was just, and they said, well, That's okay. That's pretty ballsy, though. It was very ballsy and probably very stupid, but I just had to take the... Uh, no, no. I mean, to, for you to have that ability immediately to say, I... I know I wouldn't be happy or I wouldn't be comfortable in that no situation. Question. Yeah. I mean, I think probably the sobbing in your car is a good indication. Yeah, yeah, what it would have been. <laughs> if you or, ever react to anything like that in life, you need to reflect on that as, oh, I don't want to be that way all right. the time. And there's a very good shot I might leave here today and go sit in my car crying. I'm, I know. I'm counting on I it. am too. I'm hoping it happens right here on, on microphone. Well, you, you ask me what kind of tree I want to be and uh, that will that will do it. We're but, getting there. Okay. So so anyway, so I and they said, well, look, you have one Week. They called the, the, the Shanling people and the Sanders people, and they said, well, Gary's going to Hawaii for a week. So you have one week to decide. And I was like, okay. Meanwhile, I, I never seen Dream On, barely had heard of it. And uh, I knew it was a big hit for HBO, but I didn't. it was really HBO's first sitcom. It was their first sitcom. First original. First, yeah, you're right. And I watched the tapes. I thought the show was great. Yeah. I remember they send they would send me now if you, you want to be on a show, you know, they send you obviously some DVDs or whatever over or the a, internet. A or link you watch to whatever, something. A link. Right. Boxes of, of, of VCR tapes. It was fantastic. <laughs> and I watched dozens of them and I loved the show and I went in and the, literally the second I walked in. It was like a different world. It yeah. was a different world, yeah. and um, a place you wanted to be. Place well, I especially wanted to be. as a fledgling writer, you need to be in a supportive place. And, Absolutely, and writers' rooms aren't always that way. No, they're not. No. Well, can can we flash to like present day for a sure. moment while we're talking about sure. this? Because the the process you went through the the copying flyers, the sending out specs, mm-hmm. the, the you know the letters to to agents. Like we said that just doesn't happen anymore. No. But what do you tell writers at in this state of you know where television's at, uh, let me tell you how. T- let the, me tell you how tough it is. Now? Let me tell you how tough yeah. it is because not only do I not know, and this is a god honest story. I, I was you. talking to my agent three weeks ago, and he said he is always asked, "How do you get an agent?" This is my agent, and he said, "I don't know." Yeah. So if the agents don't know, how because the agents, get agents don't, I mean, they don't really get to kind of just go out and recruit people or they don't find need to. people. And there's so many people. Yeah, there's just there's just material sitting around everywhere, everywhere, and there's so few agencies. Because so, what most, because a lot of people will say, and if they look back on kind of the way things were, mostly people are saying you got to make your own stuff now, and then somehow get it noticed. And that's the way to will, do it. People will find absolutely you. other ways to do it that I didn't do was you become a PA, then PA becomes a writer's assistant, then writer's assistant ends up in the writer's room, and as a staff writer. And if they're a staff writer, then they can start saying to people, "Well, who is your agent?" And if I, you know, I'll say Mark Gordon, I see him, and they'll go, "Okay, can I talk to him?" Yeah. You know, and if I like their material, you know, I bring it to, you know, but it's so, that's such a long route. To, right. You know? I mean, that's years. It's years. Yeah. It's years. And you have to be around long enough or whatever you're working on has to stay around long enough for Absolutely. you to move up that ladder or you start, start again. at the same level and again. I see that happen all the time. And it's, yeah. it's hard. You know, it breaks my heart, but it's it's what the business is. Well, it was already hard before. I mean, there's, there's always a certain level of, you know, there's an element of luck and there's an Absolutely. element of just knowing the right people at the right time. Absolutely. And... And then, 
I keep going back to this idea of work ethic. I mean, for you to have knocked out a screenplay when you were what eighth grade, eighth you know, grade. You, you you were already studying the form. You were did you crank out just a lot of material all the time? Yeah, you know, it's so funny because you I said you left a lot of stuff just kind of you know well, behind. Yeah, but I you know I read uh, you know you ever read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers? You know the ten thousand rule. I want to. You yeah. should read it. You I, should read I, it. Yeah. It's really interesting. But there's I don't read anything. But there's a <laughs> that I should read. But there's like a, there's a ten thousand hour rule that he has that they say oh, right. professionals have to once they get through with ten thousand hours of doing whatever they're doing, you can call you yourself. can call yourself that I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. Bartenders, radio hosts, sure. writers, anybody. 10,000 hours. That's the magic number for these for, for this. And uh, so I thought to myself, God, I wonder if before I got in the business, actually got into the business, I did 10,000 hours. And I went into our storage thing and I got boxes. And there were boxes and boxes and boxes of writing. Things I had forgotten that I had written. Right. One spec after another. I had written 12 spec scripts before I got an agent. Mm-hmm. Most people just write two or three. You know, I wrote 12 Spec scripts, two Wonder Years, two Simpsons episodes, you know, Doogie Hauser, you know, two <laughs> Dear John episodes, two Family Ties episodes, endless amounts of material. Yeah. Thousands so you had of hours. been just cranking them, even if they weren't fully formed, fully finished or they whatever. They were finished. Oh, yeah. They were fully formed oh, wow. and fully finished. Okay. Once I start, once I got into high school and college, they were, they, I was starting to find what I wanted to do, my voice, and, and, and finishing those things. You mentioned something about the Larry Sanders script, because I discovered this about going back and reading some... I, I had a great English teacher in eighth grade who made us journal. Right. And while people were writing basically like diary entries, I was writing, you know, cracked fairy tales, like oh, I had seen the type of stuff you'd seen on the Bullwinkle sure. show, things like that. I was being very bizarre, drawing little cartoons and stuff. I, when you go back and look at some of that stuff, when you're kind of unfettered, when you have no restrictions on creativity, like you mentioned about the Sanders thing, do you ever look back and go, oh, I remember when I didn't place all these kind of... Absolutely. You, you read that stuff and you go, I wish I could write like that again. Absolutely. I mean, when I have an outline, I'm extremely fast writer. I can write, I'm just a very fast writer. But when I, when I don't have an outline... I'm not, and and it, I I find that the restrictions that it takes. And by the way, you should never really write any, any writer who hears the, that will laugh because they'll think, well, you, well, you never write without an outline. But I used to when I was younger, and I didn't know. Sure, I did write without an outline. Yeah, you just spewed it out. You on just paper. spewed it out because you didn't know the form, so you were just playing with the form. You were yeah. just you didn't have all the restrictions, and the more rules you have the more fear creeps in. Right. Because then you start going, oh, I know I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I don't have time like to go that direction. I don't have time to right. go that direction. I can't, yeah, that, that is a big thing. Yeah. The, 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 the spinoffs of dialogue that don't further the plot that I used to write all the time. Right. But no, everything's got to drive yeah, and drive. You, and plus you got to, you know, you got to hit the end of the first act exactly. at this point or whatever. Exactly. You're looking at pages. Exactly. And that's, that's more so than ever because now there's like four act breaks, you know, three act breaks during a show. <laughs> right. And there used to be one. Right. So it's, so there's so many more rules and, but yes, absolutely. I will look back on that, 
on that episode of Larry Sanders and think truly to this day, it is the best, one of the best things I've ever written. And yeah. it was 20, you know, 23. I looked back at uh, the very first Super 8 movie I made in, <laughs> you know, a, a spy. <laughs> I was doing what you were doing. Yeah, it was sure. a, It was a group of ki- kids, but we were playing spies right. and it was like Russian spies. And I was and shoot it on the streets of Odessa, Texas. And it, you know, it was supposed to be some big spy epic. And I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I, di- and I didn't have a tripod or anything. And I looked at it. And I compared it to the other stuff I shot later on when I did have a tripod and I was locking the camera down and I was framing things. And I was like, when I was just free and didn't know what I was doing, man, it moved and it flowed and it had this great great visuals to it. Just going by instinct because of what I loved seeing, I was just kind of following the storytelling from that standpoint. I always go back to looking at that first film and go, I got to remember to just let loose a little bit, you yeah. know, have that kind of childlike Absolutely. attitude about Absolutely. just letting the instinct kick. Absolutely. In. And I think that for me, that's a first draft, you know, yeah. I've yeah. got to, I've got to be as free as possible during that first draft and not put those limits on because then I'll end up, I'll end up shaping it into a form that is readable and palatable for broadcast. But when I first write, I've just got to dump. You now, know? as a TV writer, you've had to have, you've had to experience some sort of discipline. Um, you can't just sit around and wait for the muse to hit. No. As, and, and I mean, no, we just it, did a hundred episodes in three years. There was no muse. No, not at all. There was no, there was other things hitting us, but no muse. So was, are you, rough. are you set a schedule, sit down, no matter what you have to start writing? Are you? Yeah, that, that show was group, uh, was group written. We wrote everything in the room. Um, which sounds crazy, but we wrote everything in the room. It, that was oh okay. By the way, they do that on Big Bang. They do that on Mom. They do that on Two and a Half. Men. Was that a Chuck Lorre thing? That is a Chuck Lorre yeah. thing, but but uh, it's but not. He, but but he shapes the final version of it. I th- no, it's no? kind of he's it's, there, but it's all written. It's all, it's written, all in written in the room. Written. Yeah, because yeah. um, typically for the people who don't know this, it's. Definitely a lot of people pitching lines, picking, pitching jokes. You break story early on or whatever, but usually it's a writer or a team going off and kind of doing the finish product. Exactly, but so often, even in those situations, the, the script will come back right. and it will be decimated by the room. <laughs> it will be ripped apart by the executive producer showrunners, and everybody will pitch in anyway. Well, we didn't even have time for that process. On anger management. No, we, yeah. just had, we just had to write. You know, it just had to be written and go. Did you find a place where that was freeing in some way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what what made it freeing was, look, there's nothing wrong, you know, with a certain amount of notes from executives and stuff like that. But we never got them. So so we were able to do whatever we wanted all the time. (laughs) And they trusted us. FX trusted us. Lionsgate trusted us. Because we proved after the first, you know, 15, 20 episodes, oh, they, they know what they're doing. And in fact... The show got better. I think the show got better and better and better and better and better. So if you watch the the last, you know, 30 episodes of the show, I think they're much better than the first 30. They're funnier. They're tighter. They're just – it's a better show. The show changed. The show changed yeah. dramatically over the three years. And and still, how many more to, hit to air? Oh, my God. They probably have – You're not even – are you just over halfway through? No, 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 no. They probably have 10. No, we've aired. That's the problem. <laughs> that's oh, the problem. that's because you blew through them all. Well, we aired. Yeah, we've aired. I think there's only like 10, eight more left to air. Oh. But we're in syndication now, yeah. too. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. So I want to go back to uh, Third Rock because. Um, uh, I did The Simpsons before Third Rock. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, I went from Dream On to The Simpsons. How long were you with The Simpsons? I was there for two years. And what was which group were you there with? I what, was what there. What regime? I was there with uh 
David Merkin was the, oh, okay. was the showrunner, and it was the fifth and sixth seasons of the show. I worked with some, That's a st- strong era. It's a great era. Who's who's in the room? With um, you? you got your uh, David Cohen's, who created with uh, with Matt Groening, um, a Futurama. Right. You got your Greg Daniels, who went on to do The Office, right, and Parks and Rec. Uh, I my I was uh, kind of office roommates with a guy by the name of Brent Forrester, who was on um, The Office and did has just been a wonderful writer for many many years. Uh, I was in the room with I think. Maybe the greatest comedy writer I've ever been in a room with, which was George Meyer. And George oh, Meyer yeah. was the guy, I think, who was the voice of, more than anybody else, the voice of The Simpsons. What Fun room? Good room? Competitive room? Competitive, yes. Fun, no. Why not uh, fun? Because the, you know, I don't like to talk bad about people, but I've already said this in, a, in the book about The Simpsons. I, I have a very difficult time with her. Our showrunner David okay. Merkin was a was a real. He was a very he was a difficult guy. He was a difficult guy. Everybody thought that was a difficult. Great stuff came out of it. He was a he is a very funny man. Uh, I have not talked to him in twenty years, but at that time it was a very difficult situation. And and there are people who would argue well because of the situation it probably created better content. But you can I could he, not disagree. Yeah, with that you can have. A, f- a fun, happy oh group God. and still well, turn out good material. That'll take us to right to Third Rock. Well, that uh, was great. Are there episodes of The Simpsons that we should know you had a major hand I think hand the in? one that I'm I'm known for, if I'm known for anything on The Simpsons, is The, the Shinning. Oh, yes. The Shinning. <laughs> I wrote the parody of The Shining. And Absolutely. again, torn apart in the room. Everybody is, you know, has their, has sure. their myths in that by far. But it, definitely some of it's me. And, and uh, yeah, The Shinning was... <laughs> Was my name? There was a there was a joke in the original version of that shinning the 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 uh, the script that I read that wrote that I brought to the room that I really liked. So can I say what it is? Sure. So the elevators open up, and instead of blood, just pickles and pickle juice comes out, <laughs> and you cut to you cut to uh, to to Homer who is you know at his typewriter and he's visualizing the you know the elevators door opening and the pickles. And he says, mmm, elevator pickles. <laughs> and I thought, mmm, elevator pickles was going to be famous. It Absolutely. was going to make me famous. Absolutely. Mm, there would be t shirts. There would be, yes. No, nothing nope. like that. No, no, not at all. No. Mm. Another memory Julie Kavner and I playing. In the in the uh, the sound booth, voice of Marge Simpson, voice of Marge Simpson's playing playing um, playing paddle tennis. What is it called? Table tennis, ping, uh, ping pong. pong, ping pong, right? And we were playing ping pong. I was like, "Oh, that's a really good shot." And she was like, "Stop that, Bond!" And I was like, "What am I doing? I'm just, you're making fun of me." I said, "I'm not making fun of you." That was a fun moment for me. <laughs> She really got upset that I was doing her voice. You know, it takes a lot for me to do that voice. That's really good. Thanks. That's way better than your Seinfeld. There's no question. Yeah. There's no question. I was brought into another... That was a very bad moment for me. I was dragged into a writer's room and said, you look like Marge Simpson. Do Marge Simpson. Oh, no. You look like Marge Simpson? Yeah, that was a rough day. Oh, man. I'm sorry. So let's go to Third Rock. Third Uh, Rock. That is a... And that was a show that could have very easily been this kind of one joke idea. There's no question. And, That's the beauty of that show is it, that it became it really. Oh my god! I, I can't. I, look, I know I wrote for that show. I know I ultimately ran that show. I know how much I participated in that. The show's 
you know what that show yeah, is. Yeah, you, ha- along you with helped a few, give it its voice. There was a the, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And there was a few of us and I can honestly say that that show is something unlike any experience I've ever had and and probably ever will. Well, it is one of those kind of magical moments where you guys come up with a premise. It's it's definitely high concept. Absolutely. But then it's all the other stuff comes into play where you get the perfect cast. The, you get uh, Lithgow, who just has no fear and becomes this. I mean, uh, how do you compare? I mean, there's nobody else who could have done that. No, nobody else. And by the way, and you, you get got, all, and then you get all the other people. You, you involved. got it. You got a, a 14 year old, 15 year old Joseph Gordon Levitt, which is just crazy, ridiculous. You've got uh, Kristen Johnson, who is amazing, and and French Stewart, the four, and Jane yeah. Curtin. It was like yeah. you were you've died and gone to writing heaven. Yeah. And it, and it's you, you guys. It's your job not to fuck that up. That's right. Because you end up getting that alchemy of the perfect group of people to say your words. That's right. But I will tell you this: the alchemy on stage was only matched by the alchemy in the writers. Yeah, room. yeah. The, the writers on that show were the the group of us. It was it was it was and continues to this day in many ways to be a family because you'll never forget what you had. It was one of those things, and it's like so that was a happy room, a very ha- we fought like cats and dogs, sure, but, but brothers my, and sisters, right? Brothers and sisters yeah. fighting. It was as happy a writers' room as I've ever been in. Yeah. Just the the wealth of creativity that came from everybody, and everybody was so different and brought something different to that show. Right, I'll never forget it. Favorite episodes. Oh my God! I wrote an episode with Christine Zander called uh, "Gobble Gobble Dick Dick," which was uh, the uh, Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> oh, good! I'm glad. Yeah. And, I'm glad it uh, wasn't something else. Well, there. Trust me, uh, "Dick" was used in every title. <laughs> it, and of course, it was. My favorite title being uh, Mike Schiff and Bill Martin did a show called episode called. It was one of our first called "Dick Smoker," and it was Dick comma. Smoker, because right. he was smoking in he the was episode. Smoking. He learned to smoke. In right. The episode. Right. So Dick Smoker. And we thought the titles were just for us. Now, remember, this is before TiVo, you know, and they didn't print the title names in the TV guide. So it was and just... And d- they didn't appear on... They didn't appear screen. on screen. So it was just it on was the script. just for you guys, right? Except all of a sudden, one day, Terry Turner was walking through a supermarket and he bought something and he picked up the TV magazine, that crappy magazine, whatever it was at the end, and it said Dick Smoker or something like that, but even more graphic, <laughs> like stick my dick in your mouth, probably. <laughs> And uh, that that was about Dick going to the dentist. And I just made that up. I have no idea. You know who was in that episode? Jeffrey Tambor. Do you know something about Jeffrey Tambor? Not only did his family invent the tambourine and the tam. Wait, both? Both. No. He's also a bore. He's also a real bore. See, I... No? I have to take issue with that. I find him quite fascinating. Oh, he's very fascinating. Oh, yeah. But you see what I've done? I've taken his name, Tambor. I've... Oh, added. Okay, I didn't. To it. I'm sorry, I didn't catch. Oh, that. you didn't catch. No, it. I thought you were just insulting. Oh him. no, he's a great guy. Okay, yeah. Well, no. I thought you were. Being I've a never real met. Asshole. No, I was I'm ready just, to just dump. This no, hole. no. I'm uh, all. No, I'm using the name Tambor to create three different jokes. This is how it's done. Oh, Tambourine, Tam, and Bore. Now, see, this is why I'm in radio, and, and this I am... is why I should be. <laughs> no, I can honestly tell you, you should not. Thank you. So anyway, so favorite episodes. That was one of them. Uh, oh my god, there's just it, I'll tell you, I have I did not watch it for 14 years, and my son came home uh, from school and we sat down and we started watching it with my son and daughter, and it is to me as funny if not funnier now than it and, than it was back then. And it a, holds up. It's a great show to watch with kids too. I, oh my god, kids just scream, and it doesn't. 
if memory serves, it doesn't rely a lot on anything topical or so timely that it, that it feels dated. Never. It's not I mean, dated uh, at other all. Other than telephones and, even, and crap even, like that. Absolutely. But even in the time, even when we were filming it, it was filmed on this weird set that like this, this attic apartment that right. kind of looked like it was from the 70s, but also f- it was kind of timeless in and of itself. Yeah. So it just never, t- it never dated. Yeah. You didn't really give it all the time. At least no. at, most of the time you didn't give it. I actually... They dressed weird. They didn't dress in fashion, so they always looked strange. It's it's yeah. just a very strange show. There was an episode where John, uh, where uh, what's John's character? Um, Dick. Dick. <laughs> no. <laughs> what was the What was their last name? Sullivan. Uh, Sullivan. Uh, where he was posing nude. I wrote that. Okay. I wrote that. Episode. I was the in the audience. Dick. I was in the audience. For you that were episode. in the episode for the art of Dick, where he posed nude yes. at the at the. He got a standing ovation yes. for posing naked. It was the only time I've ever been in a room at a at a taping where the audience gave an actor a standing ovation the, during the, the show. Feeling in that room at the time because it was it had never aired by the way at that time. Just so you know, you don't remember that, but those were it was it was the eighth episode of the first thirteen episodes. No, it was the. Yes, the eighth episode of the first 13 episodes, which we filmed before it ever aired as a mid-season replacement, and that was one of them. And you don't even remember that. Oh, no, The I audience don't. had never seen one episode, except for the pilot, which they showed to the audience before That's the it. show. That's it, yeah. That I'm was trying it. to remember even why I was there. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So you didn't, we didn't know each other. Oh, did you know my did sister? You, did you invite me? No. Huh. Oh, no. I was actually trying to avoid having you there at that time. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, yeah, the feeling in the, the I guess it was just because people knew knew him. It was interesting that he was doing TV. Absolutely. Um, but then it, that was a good example of of uh, pre airing the show and doing it for a live studio audience. Uh, a couple weeks before that, we had uh, we, had, we were filming a show and they had brought in this group of people who couldn't have hated the show more. And a lot of them left. I filled in in the audience with other writers because the audience left. They hated it so much. Really, and. The two people in front of me were like, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. And I said, as a, I said, if you don't like it, leave. Just go home. We think it's great. <laughs> that must have been a little bit discouraging. Oh, I, was, I didn't know if it was a standing ovation show or, or that. I, we didn't know until people it People getting up in mass to leave. It was very funny. Wow. Yeah. So um, I hate to fast forward no, fast the rest forward. of your career, yeah. but because you've done some very cool stuff uh, since then. Yeah, I did Grounded for Life. I was right. on for two years, which, which was I a I have lot a of real fun. affection for. Yeah, it's a wonderful I show. I thought that was a well done show. Yeah, and Bill it was and Mike. It's one of those that kind of just didn't get its audience. Well, b- believe it or not, it, it lasted for five years on FX and uh, on Fox and the WB. It went for a very long time. It just never had a life in syndication, which yeah. is a shame because that's a very clever show. Again, excellent. Created stuff. by Bill Martin and Mike Schiff, who who were the uh, who were, were showrunners after uh, Bonnie and Terry Turner of Third Rock, who I worked with obviously before, right. and then I took over for them. And then you did Samantha Who? I did Samantha Who. I did the Tracy Morgan show right. for a year for for Carsey Warner. <laughs> that guy. That guy. That guy, yeah, that guy. He's a guy. Yeah, he's a guy. You want to tell I, a Tracy story? I, you know, I the only Tracy stories I have be, are that he would come to the room and do forty minutes of stand up, sitting at the table, <laughs> just off the cuff, as brilliantly funny a guy as you've ever met. The show was just not right for 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 him. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, 
the show was created to be uh, a, a show that was kind of an anti-Cosby, and all they wanted to do was make it a Cosby show. Yeah. Uh, the network, the studio, it was just make him more like Cosby. So you're, you're fitting around, you know, hole yeah, in a square, yeah, yeah, yeah. box, peg, the hole. And it was just impossible. And that really was the undoing of that show. That was created by Jim O'Doherty and, uh, and uh, David Israel, who were partners at that time, who were also on Third Rock. It was yeah. a wonderful, like I said, it, that, that group, Great, great talent. Now, when all this time, of course, you're behind the scenes, you're yeah. doing the writing, yep. and you had, did you pretty much kind of put your performer days behind you? Or oh, yeah. Part of, but is there a part of you yeah, that kind of... there's still a part of me that would love to still do, but it's not, it's not what it used because to be. Te- because the uh, the talk show you did for Crackle, yeah. did that cut, that came out of the writer's strike, That came out basically? of the writer's strike, all yeah. Because right. uh, that was really fun. Oh, thank you. And you did a great job, and it was a great concept. Thank you. Um, I did you, that with my brother-in-law, Russ, Russ Arch, yeah. who's married to my sister, and yeah, anytime with Bob Cashel, we did 26 The five-minute talk show. five-minute talk show. One-minute one minute or thirty second, you know, one one line joke. Right. A two minute desk bet and a three and a half yeah. minute uh, uh, sit down with a with a big big guest guests in your garage in or in Russ's, Russ's garage, garage. In Russ's garage his actual a, garage his actual garage and you had some pretty great guests um, in there Brian Cranston Christina Applegate Neil John Patrick Stamos, Harris Neil Patrick Harris yeah. John Cryer I mean it list went on and on uh, it was it was fantastic yeah I loved doing that so yeah maybe. Maybe that had you know uh, stoked the fire a little bit for yeah. me, or maybe I it had been stoked, and that's how I was able to do it. Are you one of those that when you're in the writers' room, are you a performer? Are you doing lines? Are you up and and kind of in front of people? Do you, not you know? not as no, I don't think so. But I we used to do that all the time on Third Rock, but no, not as much. Since then, but yeah. I mean, I'll pitch in character, I'll pitch in voice, you know. But we all do that. You know, Bob, you're such a you're such a funny like. What what are your problems? Because there is a deep darkness in you that I want to delve in. This is where we cry. Yes, this is where we if, cry. If, if, here's the question I want to know. Yep. If you were any kind of tree, <laughs> what kind of tree? Bonsai. Bonsai. <laughs> because I'm small but could do karate. So a bonsai <laughs> tree. Is there a part of you that still wants to make that movie? Is there the filmmaker in Is you? there the Judd Apatow in me? Yeah. Um, or, or even more the you know that Alan Parker that cre- that or that Bob not, Fosse that... not not as much as there used to be no? no I really television for me is a form that I love that I know that and it satisfies it's very very satisfying what's the I most cre- satisfying thing about it that the immediacy it's yeah. that scene performing like with that's the why thing. that's why I went to television and not movies because I knew how long movies took to make mm-hmm. and I knew that there was such an immediacy it was like a combination of to me stage work and film it was television it was fast very often it has been in front of a live audience I've done more single cam than I have done um, multicam in front of a live audience but uh, so so I haven't had that all the time I had that occasionally you know with third rock and and um, I guess anger management and and uh, the Tracy Morgan show. I think are the only multicams I've done. Um, other than that, it's all been single cam. But the immediacy of it has been has been just wonderful. You write, you get it filmed, it's done. You write, you get it filmed, it's done. Yeah. You're not sitting on something for for years and years because I will rip things to shreds. You know. If you were, if, if you had the time, if I had the time. Yeah. I'll just keep rewriting and keep rewriting and keep rewriting. So it's really nice to have that. That's over. Let's start a new one. So if you, if you could, what, what would be the thing you would do right now if you could do anything? 
I would. Is I there? Would I mean, sleep. are there pitches? Oh, oh. <laughs> no. Well, you personal mean, life. You, you, mean, you would get take a nap. Well, I want to have my own show that I've created. Yeah, and then take because you you must have pitched and pitched and pitched. Oh, I've done, I've written many, many, many pilots. Yeah. Is many there? Pilots. Is there? One, and, you don't have to pitch it now, but is there one? Is there one you just go? This thing is what I want to do. Um. Well, I have a show right now that I. That I yeah. Yeah. That I. That I I've written a pilot for that I that I'm very very excited. Means about. a lot to you. Means like great deal to me. Would, is it something that that I mean? Are you now to the point where you, you want to reflect who you are, what, what you've gone? This is, is that kind without of question my most the most personal pilot I've I've written. It's ba- it's about my it's about a por- a part of my life that I've taken and and dramatized. Is it about kids starting a detective agency? How did you did you how? And if you. Had a dream cat. Well, they run away from an orphanage and start a detective agency. It's a combination uh, of two. And the orphanage is run by? Uh, Miss Hannigan from, oh, from no, Annie. Jeffrey, that was your Jeffrey Tambor opportunity right there. Who's Jeffrey Tambor? Oh, God. God damn it, Bob. What a nightmare. <sighs> I guess I didn't think of Jeffrey Tambor because he's doing a show right now. Oh, that's See, right. I think as a producer. <laughs> You can't cast Tambor. No, immediately he's, he's busy. I immediately thought <laughs> you immediately we got thought Tambor. But how about, I, I, how about a Tambor type? How about a, a Tambor type? Is Lethgo available? Tam- Can we bring him in? Oh, God, I, I just was in New York last week and saw him in Delicate Balance with uh, J- uh, uh, with Glenn Close. Oh, it was really. Lovely. He's become the Broadway guy. Now. He's become everything. Yeah, he will do and can do everything. He's written books, and but this is about me, and I'd rather discuss okay. me. Well, we're done. Um, we talked a very long time. Did we? Yeah. How long? I know it flies by because we've had such a good time. How together. long? A minute thirteen seconds. We've talked a minute thirteen <laughs> I'm seconds. Sorry, this I'm sorry. Seems, I got to be honest. I know. <laughs> I know we've talked. Okay. Uh, Keep in mind than that. No, I, I was I I was a creative. I was a film major. Okay, sure. not a lot of math classes. Of course not. An hour and thirteen minutes. Is there anything you'd like to say to me before we leave? Something that sums up my life. I don't know how how serious to be <laughs> or how I I well here's the thing <laughs> No I I the thing that I love about doing this is that I talk to so many people who have kind of seen their journey from afar over time yeah. and it's really interesting to kind of see the progress of people you've always been very kind to me oh. you've always been very funny around me and you've always <laughs> discouraged me from getting into the business you No, in. I've never. No, you have. Only because I don't want competition. That's what I thought. Sure. Yeah. It's not because I don't think you you would be successful. Because you're a you're, you're a petty and competitive Absolutely. and and insecure man. Absolutely. Well, you know, the petty is is the form of competitive, petitive. Petty comes from competitive. Again, I just think this is all just ridiculous wordplay. I'm just telling you what it, what's real and what's not. <laughs> but but I, I, I guess I just... Uh, the thing that I always pull out of these conversations is nobody ever ends up being what they started out to be. I remember when Whoopi Goldberg got up and accepted her Academy Award. And, and ever since then, I've kind of focused in on these speeches where people go... See, you can follow your dream and get what you want. And I feel like that's the wrong attitude. I feel like if you don't adapt your dream along the way, then you're setting yourself up for constant disappointment. Because if you were focused right now on still, I want to make Bugsy Malone part two, or I want well, to be... that would be that would be ridiculous. Yeah, but if you were just, but I have I'm going to be the filmmaker. I, I have set myself up for complete disappointment. I really have the, I the, in what way? Well. 
I feel like I there's like this. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody, and I say, "Why are you doing what you you do?" He was he was a wonderful guy, just a great guy. I just met yesterday. He's an executive, and and we were talking about you know what he does, and and he said he wanted to be a writer at one point, and he said I gave up the idea of excellence a long time ago and i realized the ordinary just made me happy and for me yeah the ordinary doesn't make me happy right and i'm still chasing excellence and he said that's why you're a writer and i'm not yeah and i think that the expectations are so high for myself for what i do for what i want to be for what i you know that I, I don't know if I could ever achieve it. But that's the difference between people who end up actually doing something and people who are constantly. And this is the thing I beat myself up over the years because I've I've wanted to do what you do. I've yeah. wanted to write for film. I've wanted yeah. to direct. And I I let other things kind of take off. And I've had what people would consider a successful career. Absolutely. In other stuff, and right? that's fine. I'm I'm very appreciative of that. It's helped me. You know, support my family and and you know have a house and put food on the table and all that stuff, but I recognize where I am a I have a great idea or I love this idea or I think I'm as good as blank sure and who is a great writer by yeah the way. really good so. but I'm at least as good as that absolutely guy. and and didn't execute it mm-hmm. for whatever fear or whatever that of putting it out there and the difference between somebody like me and you is that you no matter what your insecurities which are massive massive and no matter how uh, you know how grating and difficult your personality may be which is (laughs) very much so um you found it in yourself to follow through on that thing and then put it in front of people with without that fear i mean there may have been you know yeah no there's always anxiety there's always it is there's that one thing that that i'm lacking at the end of writing something which is the fear of giving it to somebody you know and that's i think that's what i pinpointed over the years is the thing that's held me back on almost everything is i get up to a point where i know i like it and i think i do believe in my abilities but i can't put myself in a position of hearing somebody else go yeah it's (laughs) a tough position that's tough it's tougher for actors because they they have to be there while the person is is watching them and they hear it constantly. and they hear it they hear it yeah you know but it's a very tough thing it's very tough there's a lot of fear that grows over the years that that it's money because you start living a certain lifestyle right and there's the rules of the game because you start knowing the rules and like i said about writing you're trying to fit it into the rules that you didn't have as a youth there's a lot of those things so you've got to you've got to do your best to push those things out of your head as much as possible and it's a it's a job that's part of the job yeah it's tough but it's See, now I thought I was going to make you cry. Now I'm going to sit here and just I'm going to sit in my car and and sob. Why don't we sit? How about this? How about you and I get in the backseat of your car? Wait a minute. We cry and we help each other through what we're going through in many ways more than just holding each other. I'm okay with that. Me too. My car doesn't have a big back seat. I think I can pull the curtains here. It just got really weird. Oh, or did it get really real? (laughs) If we don't end this now. That's the end. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Get a monkey. 
Get a monkey! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.